just past 7 o'clock, and what do you know? It's Monday night. It's time for Iron Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira not in studio, and Ira, you know... You had a couple of weeks there where you weren't doing all that much because there just wasn't much going on in the world of sports. However, once football season gets back going, you are busy as heck, and you put on some frequent flyer, uh, tr- not necessarily travel, but a lot of events this week. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a frequent flyer, but I love going to the U.S. Open, and it was such such an opportunity this year because there wasn't the foreign tra- the, usually the tickets are way overpriced because you have four people from all around the world coming in, but they didn't. So I was able to sit in Ash Stadium, lower seats, see some great matches. I, uh, some friends took me some great matches. It's so great to go to the U.S. Open, and I had a, an amazing experience. I mean, one of my, so one of my friends is like a VIP at this restaurant called Benjamin. There's a free plug to Benjamin's in New York, great steakhouse. And he goes to Benjamin's all the time. Well, Benjamin's runs one of the restaurants in Ash. So it's like if you go, think of going to your favorite, like, you know, Three River State or, you know, Hard Rock Stadium, whatever, and there's a restaurant that you know everybody there, everyone works there because they came for two weeks there, set up shop and then run it, just a pop-up for two weeks. So I go in the restaurant, everybody knows them, I get treated like VIP, and it's right in the stadium. You can leave your seats, go in the stadium to the point where you have the bartender make a drink and the bartender runs the drink out to you in the seats. You're not. It's just. It was so cool, and it was a great environment. The weather was perfect, and I just loved. I was there. You know, last week a bunch of days, and this week I was there Thursday for the women's semifinals, Friday for the men's semifinals, and then on Sunday for the men's finals. And, uh, and then Saturday went to drove four hours to go to Penn State and see my first Penn State game in 651 days. Wow. Penn State Ball State. Game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, typically you go to like every Penn State game, so I didn't realize it's been almost two years. Um, we have a great guest coming up right about maybe 725. It's Dr. Roto. We've had him on before, and he might be among the most knowledgeable football people on the planet. Well, I mean, look, if if there's people who say we play fantasy football or don't, the thing is that he follows everything. He knows who the players are, what's going on. We'd love to have him back because I know there's a lot of people out there who play fantasy. You know people who play fantasy. After the first week, you know, someone like me was extremely depressed. I'm a 12-team league. I finished in last place. Everything. So, I mean, but I'm still confident that we're going to bring him in and give some advice because there's certain situations, you know, there's times to panic and then there's times not to panic. And he'll sort of say which players you should panic on and which teams you should panic on. And some situations, some trends he's seeing in the league this year. So he was phenomenal last week. He's the number one fantasy football player in the country and has a great site. So I thought it was awesome that he could come back to talk to Iron Sports. So let's jump back into it, Ira. Our first show in, I guess, like 35 weeks since there's been a Monday night football game because NFL is back. We got to see the Miami Dolphins get a big win over their division rival, the New England Patriots. But I think this game taught us more about the Patriots than it did about Miami. Patriots look like a team on the rise, and Miami kind of concerns me after one game. Well, it was uh, it was it was Tua versus Mac Jones. I mean, the two quarterbacks that, that played in you know, Alabama, and of course, a few years ago, Mac Jones couldn't start over Tua. Tua was the starter. After you watch this game, would you rather have Mac Jones or Tua as your quarterback? You know, Mac was Jones's first start was uh, 281 yards, a touchdown. Um, he's the first rookie to start for the Patriots uh, since Drew Bledsoe, like a million years ago. So it was uh, uh, it was just an amazing. And I really think the Wing would have won the game, but Damian Harris. Uh, fumbles the ball, uh, you know, they grew the ball to an 11-yard line, and he fumbles it. And Xavier Howard, talk about a guy who just, you know, he holds out for more money. There's questions about this. He makes every interception, and then he, and he 
forces a fumble and gets the fumble recovery. Just a, a big play guy, Xavier Howard. Just tremendous. Let's um, let's talk Dallas and the Bucks. Going back to Thursday night to kick off the season, we got a really good one, Ira. I was not expecting the action that we we're going to see in this game, but here's a very damning and telling stat: the last 17 times the Dallas Cowboys don't score 30 points, they lose the game. That's not good. <laughs> and they score 29. They lose 31-29. So um, it's it, what a game. I think you know what my takeaway for this game. First of all, Brady. He, he, we thought their offense was going to be amazing because he had a, a, a training camp in terms of work with everybody. They brought all the players back. Yeah, they had Antonio Brown, who starts the season for him, has five catches, 120 yards. Chris Godwin, 109 yards and a touchdown, and just rolling along. I, I was more just I could not believe how poorly the Bucks defense played. I mean, the Bucks defense was terrible. This is a team that I was people were in you know, any fantasy draft. They were probably drafting the Bucks as the first defense off the board. They shut down Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl in Kansas City. Uh, Todd Bowles is back. They bring everybody back, but they look terrible. And whether that's a good sign for Dallas, a bad sign for Tampa Bay, but the fact that Brady was able to lead down on the drive, they were down one with a hundred with a, with a minute twenty four to go, and was able to, to lead them in position for a game winning field goal. Uh, he has 49 game-winning drives. Breeze is 53. Manning is 54. Uh, and Brady, you know, everyone, I'm at the tennis so I'm, not, I'm just following the game. And everyone's saying, Brady's awesome. Brady's awesome. Brady's awesome. How many times have I sat somewhere where people have sat, you know, texted me, Brady is awesome. Brady is awesome. Ira, watching him live, you would think he's 20 years younger. He is like the the velocity on the ball mixed with his touch, he's like a, an extremely um, sage veteran, but also he looks spry. I don't know if it's the the move to Tampa and getting out of the cold Northeast, but he does not look like a forty four year old out there. He, he looks as, as good as he did twenty years ago. It's amazing. Yeah, big. I mean, and the fact is that again, the, the familiarity he has in the offense. And having all these weapons, he literally has so many weapons to go to uh, in terms of Fournette at running back and Ronald Jones at running back. And I said Brown, Godwin, Evans. I mean, Gronkowski had eight catches, 90 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, again, it, I think uh, you know that, that he could have just you know we're looking at an MVP year from Tom Brady. I mean, this could be one of the you know another MVP because he just seems to have so these so many weapons and he looks sharp and as you said looks spry. And uh, but their defense has got to step it up. There's no way that the defense plays like this are not winning the Super Bowl again. You've got to be a little concerned if you're a Zeke um, Zeke Elliott owner in fantasy too. I mean, just again nothing out of him. And they're not giving him the ball a ton, and they were trailing, so they had to. But if you took Zeke in your first round, you, you're probably looking like, oh gosh, I don't know about this guy. So. So I do a survivor pool, Ira, you know, where you pick one team every week. You can only use the team once. My father-in-law had the bright idea. He wanted to take Buffalo as his suicide pick. And I said, why would you risk it? Pittsburgh's still a real team. They went 11-0 and to open the season last year. And him and a lot of other people got knocked out on this. Nice win for your Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, again, I was watching that game. I was in the Champions Club of the game. So I was, you know, watching that game on, on the TV. Thankfully, they put it on. But uh, what a win for the Steelers who, when they were down 10 nothing, they had two first downs and 53 yards at halftime. So it looked like they were terrible. Buffalo or Buffalo beat them uh, last year at the end of the season. It was, it was a disaster in terms of how they, the Pittsburgh looked awful. But the bill, T.J. Watt for the Steelers had two sacks, forced a fumble. He just signed a four-year, $112 million extension. And the thing was he signed the extension, and by, by signing it, he, like, he took his signature and, and, and his, he was wearing his uniform and walked into Art Rooney's office and said, I'm on. And then he goes to practice. So that was that. But it was like 
the Steelers, I mean, Ben was struggling the first half, but it shows that Ben, when push comes to shove, is able to lead the team down. Uh, DeAndre Johnson made an amazing catch for a touchdown and uh, was able to hold on. But the block punt, the, the Steelers had a block punt uh, on Buffalo and, you know, the forced fumbles. And Josh Allen was, uh, Jared Allen, uh, Josh Allen was uh, three sacks, uh, just not sharp, not what you expect from anything. You know, Josh Allen, yeah, not sharp. And I think Pittsburgh was just on to him. I don't know if it's because they played late last year or maybe because he looked so good at the end of last year that anything, you know, less is kind of a step down, but kudos to Pittsburgh's defense because all day, they, it wasn't necessarily the sacks. It was pressures. He made bad, awkward throws. It just didn't look like uh, Josh Allen. So a nice win there as Pittsburgh starts 1-0. and Kansas City and Cleveland. Casey, we saw this a lot last year, Ira. It seems like I don't know if they're lackadaisical to come out, but they, they might not do anything for, for a, a half, or they let these teams hang around before finally putting them away. Well, we're going to ask Dr. Rod Roto about this game, you know, in terms of fantasy implications. But again, I just, I mean, it looked like Cleveland had this game. The, the Kansas City was down 12 points at halftime, 22-10, and uh, they just, you know, again, you can never count Kansas City out. Like, they could be down... 30 points, and they're the one team that's still in the game. Uh, Mayfield played well. It was 321 yards and a touchdown. They ran the ball well. Nick Chubb had 83 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, but when push came to shove, Kansas City was able to take the lead. And then when Cleveland came back with a chance to win the game, this happened in the playoffs last year. You know, again, it was so much a close game. And, and Baker throws the interception. And the, the scene that you see on TV of him on the ground, like crying like a baby. But I, I, I would, it was more like just this sense of just total frustration because it's so hard to beat Kansas City. That's why I give the Buccaneers so much credit because it's really hard to shut Mahomes down. They figure out a way to win. They, they are, they're, they're all there and they always come back and against Tampa, they weren't able to come back in that Super Bowl. Uh, but that was it. The Browns now are one 21 and one in season openers. They've lost 17 straight uh, season openers. Now this is a Browns team that's different. And this is the toughest opener you'd have. And Kansas City was favored by six to start the game. But again, I think if you're Cleveland, you're just frustrated that this is a game that where you could really set the mark of having this year. But uh, Kansas City, again, Again, they got to start playing. I mean, Kansas City, they cannot be behind all these games and come back. I mean, I'm waiting for Kansas City to go out 30 to nothing on a team. So the most disappointing and underwhelming performance of the weekend has to be from Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. After all the hubbub in the offseason, to come out so flat and lose 38-3 to to the New Orleans Saints, who I don't think the Saints are going to be a bad team. A lot of people think Drew Brees is gone. They're going to be terrible. Jameis Winston threw for 5,000 yards two years ago. So I'm not that worried about the Saints, but I'd be a little worried if I'm a Packer fan. Well, I think if you said the Packers gave up 38 points on defense, everybody knew their defense was poor. Um, and that's why you know people felt like you know Aaron Rodgers, you know, there's an issue. Their defense was improved, but so poor. But this offensive performance by Aaron Rodgers, I, it was one of his worst football games, if not the worst he's ever played. Had a 13.5 QBR, which was I think the worst of anybody who played a, more than a quarter this this uh, this uh, this week. 15 for 28, 133 yards, two interceptions. Um, and there's one interception where he's like trying to jump. He looked like a rookie. I mean, he looked like, I mean, when Jordan Love came in the game, I think Jordan Love looked better. And I think it's the talk that, you know, this shows you go on Jeopardy. You go, you take, you, you, you're, you're, you're uh, doing this, you're doing that, you're holding out. Do you want to play? Do you not want to play? And we talked about this before about, you know, the mental health issues. Well, the Saints don't care. Like, if Aaron Rodgers has problems with Green Bay, that's fine. But the Saints want to win. These, te- this, these players want to win this game. And I'm really impressed with how the Saints defense played. And Jameis Winston, five touchdowns. 
and he ran smart, made smart decisions, and zero interceptions. He looked like Jameis Winston at Florida State, who won a national championship. I mean, he was played perfect game, and then you had Kamara, 20 carries, 83 yards, just a, a great game. I mean, look, compare the QBRs. Rodgers was 13.5, Winston was 92.5. Absolutely brilliant move on Sean Payton's part, too. Knowing the departure of Drew Brees is coming up, let's get Jameis Winston a year early. Let him sit behind Drew. Let him learn the playbook and look at the results. Brilliant moves from uh, uh, Loomis and, and Payton there. But one thing that bothered me in this game, Ira, is they took Rodgers out right at the beginning of the fourth quarter. They were only—I mean, you're down four scores, but it's Aaron Rodgers. Unless he asked to come out of the game, you don't take him out of the game, and he shouldn't be asking either. I think he should have played it out. Um, it, I just think it was one of those games that just got, uh, you know, got away from them. Um, but I, I agree with you. I was surprised that, that he was. When I saw Jordan Love, I thought there was a point where I mean I, that he got, was injured or there was an issue, but he wasn't injured. He just took him out of the game. But I think no one expected this was going to happen. Uh, and but I think that Rodgers. I mean, this look, Aaron Rodgers. There was a reason why. <laughs> as much as he was the MVP last year. There was some issues with Aaron Rodgers the last couple of years before where he had play, wasn't playing at the, the Aaron Rodgers elite weight. Last year wins the MVP. But this game was terrible. And did you just get blown out in a game like this? I mean, that's just, uh, I mean, they were, they, had, they were one for 10. The Packers were one for 10 on third downs. One for 10 with 229 yards total for a team against the Saints defense, which is not the greatest defense in the NFL. No, pathetic. Um, so something I didn't see coming was, Houston <laughs> scoring so at will against Jacksonville. We know Jacksonville's not good. They're not challenging this year. And But everyone thought Houston was going to be like a top two or, or a bottom two or three team in the league. Tyrod Taylor looked pretty good. Trevor Lawrence had flashes as well, but chipped in three picks. I mean, every, I, I, I didn't see this coming at all. And it's scary that the Jacksonville defense is that poor. I mean, the fact that uh, Ingram ran the ball 26 carries, 85 yards. I mean, Brandon Crooks, 132 yards. But, you know, Jacksonville was down 27 to 7 at halftime. And they just, I mean, I don't think Trevor Lawrence looked horrendous. I thought he looked okay. But I was just, their defense was terrible. I mean, there, some of these teams we're going to have to look at and say, what is Jacksonville's defense? 37 points. I mean, I'm just, when, they, when they play a high-flying offense, what, you're going to see a 70-point game? Uh, Jacksonville has got to get their defense to, uh, straightened out. Or, or what, this is going to be a, a terrible year. Forget the offense. I think they have the offensive players. They have weapons. I think they'll score. I think this was just the first, first game, whatever. But if they don't get their defense, it's, it's going to be a long season for Jacksonville. Ira, the most intriguing matchup of the weekend to me was Carolina versus the Jets because we got to see Sam Darnold immediately play his old team, the Jets, with the, with the Panthers. Turn to be a pretty decent game Panthers came out on top yeah I was watching that of course in New York so everybody was watching in terms of what was going to happen with uh, in terms of Wilson's throw you know being a rookie he was sacked six times now remember Sam Darnold when he was a Jet was sacked 98 times and 38 starts so uh, Zach Wilson you know had a 258 yards two touchdowns first start I I thought he looked good like I felt for Again, I saw John Elway play his first game. It's hard for a rookie to go in. I mean, you're playing college football. You're playing Coastal Carolinas. Suddenly now you're playing the Carolina Panthers. Um, but I liked how Dar- Darnold looked good. Like, I felt he, I felt he, was, he, was, he just played very well with almost 300 yards passing and a, and a 
a touchdown. Using Christian McCafferty was back from an injury last year in terms of running and passing. Uh, Carolina, well, the defense looked good. So if you're going to get Carolina, it could be uh, with Matt Rule in, a, in terms of getting everything going this year. I was, uh, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm impressed with Carolina, and I think they made, you know, they they look like a team that made a smart move with bringing Darnold in. I, I think Darnold, you know, people are talking about this is a landing spot for Deshaun Watson. I think Darnold could lead them to, you know, certainly the playoffs. It's 720. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. Dr. Roto of drroto.com. Join us in about five minutes or so. So, Ira, I talk often about my Tennessee roots. I went to college in Tennessee. I've got a lot of friends that are Titans fans. And as they were getting just dismantled by Arizona yesterday, they're saying, well, I don't get it. What's the difference? Well, your defense was really bad last year in Tennessee. You didn't address the pass rush. And you lost Jonu Smith. You lost Adoree Jackson from your defense. You lost Corey Davis. You brought in an aging Julio Jones. That's not an addition by subtraction move there. They lost a lot of talent. And I think it might be a long season for the Titans who've been making the playoffs every year. Right. I mean, and not just making it, a lot of people have them as the sleeper Super Bowl contender. So, I mean, to get to the Super Bowl with AFC over, over Kansas City, but their defense, again, you were totally right. Arizona was just, I mean, this game is 24-6 to start the game. It could have been all worse. Yeah. Tyler Murray last year, he, he had that one big game against, you know, against Buffalo in terms of that crazy game, and then he sort of got, it looked he was beat up by the end of the year. But he, I mean, he's so fast and fresh. He had a rushing touchdown, four touchdowns passing, 21 to 32 yards. Uh, just for days, they had four to 16 yards. And Chandler Jones for Arizona had five sacks, five sacks in one game. <laughs> On pace for 85. On pace for 85 sacks. <laughs> Yeah, it just shows the Tennessee offensive line is, is bad. I mean, Tennessee looks – I mean, you can't – don't overreact, but there were some – you just mentioned you said that. There were some issues going into the season, and they thought they would run the ball with Derrick Henry and pass with Tandy Hill. But, wow, this was a bad start for them at home. So one game, Ira, that I look at on the schedule that I really just had no idea how to pick it. You know, usually it's like, I think this team will win, this team should lose. This one I was – Really didn't know. It was the Chargers playing Washington. Chargers won the game, but we did see Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's about to miss six to eight weeks. Well, it's I don't you know it's a this is a weird game. The score is twenty to sixteen. I didn't see the game, so I didn't watch it. But I looked at the stats. The Chargers had four hundred twenty-four yards. Now, then why are you saying it's surprising? Because Washington's defense is supposedly the greatest defense. How did they give up four hundred yards to the Chargers? The Chargers converted fourteen of nineteen third downs. And if it wasn't for some, you know, Justin Herbert, their star quarterback, fumbled the end zone once, threw another red zone interception. I mean, this game should have been a complete blowout. They won, but it could have been worse. But I'm more concerned. Again, we're talking defenses. I'm really concerned with Washington's defense. I I thought Washington in the East was going to team to win. Now they lose Fitzpatrick. They have Taylor Henneke as their backup. Now I'm nervous about that. And then I'm concerned now their defense. This game could have been a lot worse, and I, I'm concerned about their defense. It worried about a defense. What do you think people in the Atlanta area are thinking right now about their defense? That game was awful from the Atlanta Falcons' standpoint, losing 32-6 to to Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. Game was never close, and Matt Ryan looked bad. The defense looked even worse. Well, Nick Sirianni was hired by the Eagles. I mean, and Arthur Smith. These are two hires that people were challenging, like Arthur Smith from Tennessee and Nick Sirianni coming in as the first time as his first job for the Eagles. But wow, I mean, Jalen Hurts of all the quote Alabama quarterbacks, the Mac Jones, the Tua's. I mean, we're going to put Jalen Hurts as the Alabama quarterback. 
27 for 35, 264 yards, three touchdowns. Devontae Smith looks, you know, another Alabama wide receiver, six catches, 71 yards, and a touchdown in his first game. Uh, but what's more surprising is, is you expected Atlanta with Matt Ryan to come back. I mean, he was terrible. 164 yards with sacks three times. Uh, and Kyle Pitts, who we're expecting to have this humongous game. That's who they drafted in the, in the you know, in the first round. Uh, targeted eight times, only caught four balls. Didn't play well. And this game was a, another one of these blowouts where Atlanta's offense was was anemic and their defense was terrible. Uh, could be a very long year. I mean, Atlanta. Let's say this. Atlanta was favored in this game by three and a half points. They lost by twenty six. <laughs> Not good. Um, so. I watch Red Zone Channel typically, especially if, you know, my team's not on. And at 1 o'clock, Red Zone Channel, about every two seconds, it seemed like they were going back to the Seattle Seahawks game because Russell Wilson was scoring at will. And he put up four quick touchdowns like it was absolutely nothing. 28-16, the final over Indy, and it wasn't wasn't as close as that. No, and it's, it's, again, you know, boy, I feel like, are we talking defenses so much? This Indianapolis defense is supposedly so great. Not good. And Shane Walden is an offense coordinator for Seattle. They brought a new offense coordinator, Ian Hurt, with all the issues Russell Wilson had, but was 18 for 23, 254 yards, and four touchdowns. I mean, it's about as efficient as you can possibly have. And, uh, and tremendous play. Russell Wilson looked amazing. Uh, and I, again, it was like one of these things where Indiana, boy, that division in terms of uh, uh, Indiana and Indianapolis, people, two teams that they thought were going to be like competing for it did not look good. And to lose at home like that, Ian Carson Wentz, I guess the big surprise is he stayed healthy. He didn't get hurt. He <laughs> one yard, the two touchdowns. And, uh, uh, but, but really that was, I, I just, how Indianapolis, these are teams like Indianapolis and Washington that were counting on their defense to to, make, to keep them in games. And if they're not going to have good defense, they're not going to win games. So one of the better games came from an unexpected place, Ira. It was Minnesota at Cincinnati. Joe Burrow got himself a signature win in his first game back from ACL and uh, from ACL surgery. He looked good. Uh, you got to be encouraged if you're if you're uh, a Cincinnati Bengals fan. Overtime win for the for the Cincinnati. Right. I mean, that was Cincinnati was an underdog at home. Um, you're talking about AFC North of the Steelers, the Ravens, the Bengals, and the Browns could be looking like the best division in football because if Cincinnati is playing well, then that's a team everyone thought was going to be easy. Joe Burrow had not just a torn ACL, he had everything torn in his knee. To come back, he had that last year, come back this year, game one, throw for two sixty ones and two touchdowns. Uh, uh, Jamar Chase, their wide receiver from LSU, who was his wide receiver there, dropping balls in preseason. That's one thing about talking about preseason. He dropped like you know ten balls in, in preseason. He had five catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown, a 50 yard, amazing catch. You can see the speed he has. Uh, but uh, it was like one of those things where Delvin Cook, Minnesota had it. This should have been a tie, but Delvin Cook fumbles the ball with two minutes left in overtime. Uh, a terrible fumble for the Minnesota's running back. I mean, Kirk Cousins, the quarterback, played a great game. Uh, but in the end, it was just a Cincinnati big win for them at home. And uh, it seems like their offense is – people thought the Sam was going to have a very good offense this year if Chase could play well when they saw him preseason poor. But now he's playing well. You guys hate T. Higgins scoring. And, and Joe Nixon carried the ball for – 29 times, 127 yards. Looks like a very fi- lot of firepower for the Bengals. So 49ers and Lions, this game, it, it was really weird because out of nowhere, the Lions made it a game at the end. I don't know if I'm worried. You know, we're talking about defenses to be worried about. San Francisco is supposed to have a great defense, and if I told you before the game that the Lions would score 33 points, you'd tell me there's no chance. But they did. I don't know if you're panicking yet because it was all late, but still, 49ers get this win 41-33. to 
I'm going to write this off. The San Francisco was up 38 to 10 early in the fourth quarter. They pulled some uh, players. I, I'm not as much as the Lions had the ball on their 24, down eight with 12 seconds to go. So they had a chance to, to actually tie it, you know, tie the game. It was amazing. They scored 23 points in three minutes. But it was just a weird ending of that game. I'm not going to hold anything back about San Francisco and their defense. It was just a, I think they had control. Uh, they, but of course, it was weird with the running backs. So, Rashawn Mostart, their star running backs now, he's on injured reserve, got hurt. And Trey Sermon, the running back we saw out of Ohio State that everyone thought was going to play well, he's out. And, they, and he didn't even play. It was a healthy scratch. But Jimmy Garoppolo played pretty good. They used Trey Lance through a touchdown pass. So I think you're going to see that for a while with Garoppolo and Lance. Garoppolo taking most of the snaps with Lance coming in for certain plays. As we predicted, I, I said that last week that I, you're going to see Lance in maybe like five or six, seven snaps a game until probably Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt and then Trey Lance will be the starting quarterback. So we talked about long seasons. It's come up a couple of times. Watching the Giants yesterday, even for just one series, you could look at this team and say, it's going to be a long season for these gentlemen. And I thought, Ira, I thought the defense for the Giants would be good. They were pretty good last year. Ed made some big additions like that Adoree Jackson from, from Tennessee. They looked terrible. Denver crushed them 27-13. Wasn't even that close. Right. Again, we're, sometimes you hear a score and you don't think that Teddy Bridgewater had his way. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater has been... Everyone was shocked when he got the starting job at Denver, but he passed for 264 yards, two touchdowns, and they ran the ball well. I mean, it was, a, it was it, the Giants' defense was terrible. And the problem for the Giants, and you hit the nail on the head, if their defense doesn't play well, Daniel Jones is not going to win games for them. And Daquan Barkley, 10 carries for 26 yards, he's coming off his knee surgery. Don't expect something from him. Uh, this could be a season where the Giants win four games. I mean, this is one where the Giants and Jets combined, maybe they win eight games. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a tough season, but that's, that was their defense has to play better. And against if Denver could put 27, when it should really have been like 35 or 40, and think what these other teams with high-powered offense can do against the Giants. It, they're going to play Thursday night against a backup QB and probably lose, and that's going to really set the tone <laughs> for the season. Bears and Rams, Ira. This is one of those losses for the Bears. Bears lost 34 to 14. Rams are like a Super Bowl contender. Bears are not. But the Bears, this is a loss that I think you can be kind of happy about because they look good in certain aspects. They look good, but I'm impressed with the Rams. I think this, this, the move from Matthew Stafford uh, to Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford is really going to play off. Stafford looked tremendous 321 yards, three touchdowns, 20 for 26. Um, this seems like the, everyone concerned about the Rams is the Rams have their defense and, and, and they can score like this. This is, again, you're right. This is that division. I mean, they're all in the same division. Arizona, Seattle, San Francisco, and the Rams, all four teams are making the playoffs. I can't, I'd be shocked if they were all four of them. They looked all four extremely impressive. But it was, I think, Stafford throwing to Cup, throwing to Robert Woods, Jefferson, they had the wide receivers. This is the Rams team that you saw a couple years ago when they just seemed unbeatable. Uh, but it's back to where uh, where, where Sean McVay actually has this team going, and, and, they, and the defense looked look fantastic. Yeah, I mean, speaking of, like, the Cardinals could be the worst team in that division, and they did just dismantle the team that made the AFC Championship game two years ago. That's a heck of a division in the NFC West. Tonight, it's Ravens and Raiders. I don't know what we're going to see in this one. Josh Jacobs has some kind of illness. He might not play that much. And we know that the Ravens' entire running back crew is out. What do you think happens tonight? I think this is going to be, and I'm telling you that 
Uh, I have friends in Vegas. They said they've never seen so many Ravens fans coming in. Between the Raider fans and the Ra- I-, I cannot watch, wait for this game. This Allegiant Stadium, that's what they call the stadium, this is the first. I mean, they've had exhibition games, they had concerts, they had this. This is the first NFL game there. This is so big in Vegas. Uh, I think this is just off the charts exciting. I, I, the, it is going to be so loud in this stadium, and with a dome, with a, it's just going to be amazing to watch. I can't wait. The Ravens are are getting our four and a half point favorites. I like. Uh, I, I just think the Raiders. I think the energy of the home, the crowd, and being in that stadium. I think Derek Carr is going to have a, a monster game. I think the Raiders are going to play well and win this game. But I'm so excited. I just think from a stadium perspective, we saw SoFi. You know, the Rams fans are. The stadium's beautiful, but the Rams fans aren't that great of fans. But the between the Raider fans and everyone flying in, could you imagine what's happening in Las Vegas right now? You have everybody flying in from Oakland. You have the Raider, local, local Raider fans, and then you have all the Raven fans coming in for the game. This is what's going to happen. You're going to see this all the time. This is the game, and, and I just can't wait to see it on TV and turn the volume up and just enjoy this game. No, you're absolutely right in that sense. I think every week for them is going to be like a half-away game because people are going to use it like, uh, guys weekend, let's all go see our team play in Vegas. It's not like going to Minnesota for an away game. Vegas is an attraction. You go there, you build the trip around going to see your team play in Vegas. That said, I'll take the Ravens tonight. I don't like minus three and a half where the line is now, but just to pick them, I'm taking the Ravens to win uh, in Vegas. Let's go to Dr. Roto here on Iron Sports. It's time to bring in Dr. Roto. You can hear him on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio Saturdays from 7 to 9 a.m. You can also learn more at drroto.com. So, Dr. Roto, we are just about one week into the fantasy season, not just one game left to go. And there was a couple of blowouts yesterday, a couple of weird games. So what are you seeing as the biggest fantasy overreaction to week one? Well, I mean, look, it's when good players have bad games. Uh, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, everybody's saying he's washed up. He doesn't want to be there. Look, these guys, a lot of players don't play in the preseason. Why don't they play in the preseason? So fantasy football managers can't have it both ways. If your guy plays in the preseason and he gets injured, well, the first thing you do is you hate on the the, the head coach. And you say, why did this guy play him? Now, if you don't play him, well, the first week the guy is rusty. So you can't win either way. What I'll tell you is this. Week one could have been ugly, and it was on a few of my teams. Now, if we're in the same spot week three, that's a different conversation. But I would think by, by next week, good players will get back into form. So by week three, hopefully you're 1-1 one and one in your league or 2-0 and oh for sure. But if you're 0-2, I wouldn't panic just yet. There is still time. So we had mentioned, uh, you know, last time we had you on, and it's great advice that, you know, you don't win your fantasy league during the draft. You win it during the season. So who now is going to be your waiver wire pickup or attempted waiver wire pickup for this week? Well, I mean, look, there's a lot of guys I like for this week. And I think, you know, that's a great point that you bring out. So, you know, look, why do I love, you know, having my own website at drauto.com? Because it's not just what you do at the draft. It doesn't end. The draft is a beginning, right? So the question is, and I said this to everybody, did you have Kenneth Gainwell on your team? Him getting a touchdown didn't shock me. Why? Because I told all my subscribers to pick up Kenneth Gainwell. Juwan Johnson, did it surprise me? No, it didn't surprise me because I knew that he was the backup tight end getting the goal line looks there. So it's about finding the resources to help you. This week, K.J. Osborne is going to have an opportunity to be the third receiver there from Minnesota. How about Tim Patrick stepping in for the Denver Broncos with Judy being injured? You know, uh, how about Cedric Wilson, Michael Gallup out for three to five weeks? You want, to, you want a part of that Dallas offense. We saw how good Dak Prescott looked. So I think those are just a few of the names this week that I'm eyeing. So 
in two quarterback leagues, virtually every quarterback's gone during the draft. So it's always huge when a quarterback goes down. We did have um, uh, Ryan, Fitz, Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, hit the IR today. Is Taylor Heineke someone worth picking up in, in these two quarterback leagues, or is this just going to be a disaster in Washington? No, I don't think it's a disaster at all. They paid him a lot of money this offseason because after he played so well in that game against Tampa, do you remember that playoff game? He almost let a comeback. Yeah. So he, I think he shocked the world with that game, and I think a lot of people are, are poo-pooing him. I'm not. I actually think he may be better. Call me crazy. Maybe he's better than Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is so brittle, he literally gets injured every season. But I think in two quarterback leagues, was Tyrod Taylor taken? I don't think so. Tyrod Taylor can't stay healthy, but when he stays healthy, he's pretty good. How about Teddy Bridgewater? How about Jared Goff? There's always a guy out there, and that's my specialty. I can always find you a guy on your team. We're speaking to Dr. Roto. You can hear him serious XM Fantasy Sports Radio Saturday mornings from 7 to 9 a.m. You can learn more and subscribe to get all this great information at drroto.com. Ira, what do you got? Dr. Roto, the question I have, and I'm glad we have you on. I mean, we thought we were going to bring you back in a couple, you know, three, four weeks so we could ask you to come back, but uh, it's almost like you're the doctor where you, you get hurt, you get injured, and, and if you want a, an injury lagging throughout, you know, you've got to see the doctor first and let them say, hey, don't worry about it, or hey, you better treat this. So that's why, you know, some of the fantasy owners, I mean, I, we both have, Mike and I both had Gainwell, we both did follow that, but I made some mistakes, I, I did follow your advice totally, and I, I, did, I did make some errors. But I just want a general question on running backs. It seems like the, the running backs did not have a good week. I mean, the, the true running backs were getting receptions uh, like a Derrick Henry was like 60 yards rushing and 15 carries. So many underwhelming performances by running backs. Are they sometimes overvalued? I mean, for these teams that maybe just draft wide receivers, is that maybe something to look at next year? Or is it just like we the first week the running backs take some time to get going? So the answer to that question is both. So in high stakes leagues, that are PPR formats, point per reception, most of the really good players take wide receivers in the beginning. They'll take one running back, and then they just start peppering with wide receivers because you can rely on a wide receiver, right? You know that C.D. Lamb's going to get the football. He's not game-dependent. Derrick Henry is game-flow-dependent. Why? He doesn't catch the ball more than one, maybe one or two targets a game. When they fell behind by like 40 points in the second half, why are you going to hand him the football? You're not. So it's the guys who can run and catch that have the most value. And so I, I think you asked why do running backs struggle? Well, offensive line struggle. Najee Harris was literally out there for every, every snap, but Pittsburgh couldn't open up a hole. And if Pittsburgh offensive line is not opening up a hole, he can't get yardage. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Bengals opened up tons of holes for Joe Mixon, and he looked terrific. So I think that it's about understanding offensive lines understanding the mismatches with offensive lines and understanding that the NFL has created such a game that a cornerback can barely touch a receiver without there being a penalty. So receivers can make plays and teams are throw are throw first philosophies. How many teams do you know out there that are run first anymore? Not too many. And then what about in terms of defenses? It's not in terms of picking defenses, but like I look at a team like the Eagles, Philadelphia played Atlanta. Philadelphia blows out Atlanta. Atlanta, questionable defense, but boy, Philadelphia looked you know, amazing. Now, is it, is it a factor that the Eagles have got their act together, Jalen Hurts is great, Devontae Smith is great, all this other stuff, or is the factor that maybe the Falcons defense is so bad that some of these teams that gave up a lot of points, is it this week you're going to say, boy, whoever they're playing, I don't care, I'll pick the, the third or fourth wide receiver for the backup running backs. Like everyone's going to score on this team. So one of the tools that I have on my website is a points allowed tool, okay? And you can click it and see which teams give up the most points at a certain position. 
Now, does that sound technical? Maybe, but I tell you, I use it for, to win in DFS and fantasy. So I want to know which teams don't play the tight end well, right? So let's say that I know, for example, that New England plays the tight end well. Well, Gaisicki's not a good start. Well, how many catches did Gaisicki have yesterday? Zero. So this week, when Miami plays, if Gaisicki has a better week, it might be because he's playing an easier defense for him. And that's how fantasy football managers have to think, right? You have to have that flexibility. Now, look, Arthur Smith is a new coach, comes into Atlanta. He's trying to install a new offense. And to be honest with you, Matt Ryan looked terrible. And the whole and the whole Falcons looked terrible. I mean, and look, I had pieces of that game. I had Calvin Ridley. I had Kyle Pitts. I had Mike Davis. That was a, a, literally a, a train wreck. So I think what happens is you have to understand what teams do well, what teams don't do well, and take advantage of that. And what did you like about, in terms of the Miami, because we're down here in South Florida, um, so much interest in Tua. It seems like Tua had another Tua game, like last year, the 200 yards, one touchdown, one reception. But uh, as you predicted, you, you said last year, like Gaskin, you, you thought he was going to play a big role, which he did, running and receiving. But what did you like from the uh, Dolphins against the Patriots? Yeah, I learned that Deshaun Watson's going to be the quarterback pretty soon. I, oh. I, I think when, yeah, I, I didn't think so, but I think so a lot more now. I think when you're bringing in Jacoby Brissett, okay, for certain plays, that tells me everything. It tells me that they want to run weird offenses, and I don't ever like that. Let me know the Super Bowl team where you saw multiple quarterbacks playing. I don't remember that offhand. I might have missed something, but maybe I'm wrong. But I think when you start to get gadgety like that, it doesn't bode well. I think Miami got lucky yesterday that Damian Harris fumbled. I think Miami played well, but Mac Jones played pretty well too. I think two would be enough to win. Now ask yourself this. Is he better than Josh Allen? No. If you're really being honest with yourself, is he better than Mac Jones? I don't know about that. Mac Jones looked pretty good. Is he better than Zach Wilson? Maybe. I think Miami's got a quarterback issue, and I think Tua is good. But do I ask myself, is this a Super Bowl-winning quarterback? I don't see that. I think Miami played well defensively, and I think Waddle is a special talent. I'd like to see how that team looks with Will Fuller, but I think there are questions here. And I didn't like seeing Jacoby Brissett out there on those short yardage plays at all. And talk about a team that does not have a quarterback problem. We're going to go to your side of the state, which is Tampa, on Thursday night and Brady's performance. And, and I think the question people have with Tampa is they have just so many weapons. And there's Antonio Brown for 121 yards and a touchdown. And Chris Godwin, nine catches and a touchdown. And Gronkowski out of nowhere, two touchdowns. It's like we don't know where to go. I mean, you just, just like pick everybody. Of it. it just seems they have so many weapons. And then Mike Evans has a bad game. But the point is, like, what do you do when you – I mean, that's why I guess your Dr. Roto website, drroto.com, will help in terms of seeing which matchups Tampa works against the other teams. Yeah, absolutely. So last week it was an Antonio Brown matchup. It was. And, you know, I said as much on the site. And it was a Chris Godwin matchup. Uh, this week feels like a Mike Evans matchup. And I think Brady is very cognizant of one thing. If he doesn't go to a, an Evans last week, he's going to go back to him this week because he's got to keep all those guys happy. And I'm very big on these things, right? I, I look at these things. I believe in narratives uh, as an athlete myself and a coach. I know when you don't feed a certain player, the next game, you better feed that player. That player's not going to be happy. So when Mike Evans has a poor game, you watch. Mike Evans will improve this week. And Brady is a smart guy who understands this. Now, do I think that Brown gets his five or six targets every week? You lock that in. Does Chris Godwin get six or seven every week? You lock that in. I think it's Evans who fluctuates. And I think that he's the one I'm most concerned about. Gronk will have his. I don't think Gronk is getting 12 touchdowns. He had a big week. Brady, you know, took advantage of the matchups. 
that, that's what Brady does. I mean, look, the thing that surprised me most about Tampa wasn't the offense. It was that the defense didn't look good. They didn't get to Zach Prescott enough. Right. And then Jacksonville, I, I didn't see the game. I was, I was watching the open at the time. But the point is, it just seemed like they got – there was a lot of weapons on the team. It, as long as they put fantasy points up, that's great. I'd like to see James Roberts, the running back, more involved. But G.J. Chark played well wide receiver. Chanel, you came on and said, look, Chanel, Chanel, Lebeska, and you were totally right about that. But So what did you think about in terms of Lawrence's – I mean, the, the rookies were hit in terms of Mac Jones and Lawrence and all these rookies that played last week, but from Lawrence's perspective in Jacksonville. Right. So when you wake up in the morning and you look at the box score, you're like, oh, Trevor Lawrence, 332 yards, three touchdowns. He must have played great. But did he? I mean, look, the Houston Texans defense is not very good. Tyrod Taylor looked like Y.A. Tittle out there. Right. And, you know, this is ridiculous. So, you know, Trevor Lawrence has to do better. Right. I think he had a couple of tremendous throws. The touchdown to Chark was a throw in on a rope, which is a beautiful thing to see. But look, when Carlos Hyde outrushes James Robinson, that's an issue. Urban Meyer went ballistic today because he doesn't want Trevor Lawrence throwing the ball 51 times. If he's throwing the ball 51 times, it means they're losing. I think the biggest problem Jacksonville has is their defense, I mean, is bad. Look, look at box, box scores tell you everything, guys. Mark Ingram and the Texans running backs had 41 carries. When another team runs 40-plus times, you are losing that game. Wow, and then I'm a big Steelers fan. Mike's the, Mike's the Giants fan. Um, certainly a surprise from the Steelers in terms of going against a tough Buffalo defense. But you can see where Ben, and I think what you mentioned, you made a great point in terms of Brady. It seems like Ben wants to keep his wide receivers happy and tries to, to push around because they had a lot of, I mean, Juju had four catches, Claypool had three catches, DeAndre Johnson five catches, sort of worked the ball to everybody in that game. Yeah, here's the other problem. I don't think Ben can throw more than 20 yards downfield anymore. I, I don't. I really think that's an issue. So I think Ben has to pepper those guys with targets. And, you know, he's got a lot of really good receivers there. And so I think they're, they are matchup dependent, but I think they want to take risks with Claypool downfield. Claypool was not as good this week as he will be. He saw Tredavious White. Tredavious White is one of the top cover corners in the league. Claypool will have better days. Deontay made a great catch in the end zone for that touchdown. Juju, I think, is the weakest of the three, to be quite honest with you. I think that it's usually going to be Deontay and Claypool, but they couldn't go to Claypool as much. I'm telling you, the problem for the Steelers right now is you have to open up holes for Najee Harris. I mean, the guy did not see any running room, and you drafted him in the first round for a reason. You don't want the guy getting 16 carries for 42 yards. And then probably the, you know, the game of the day was Cleveland-Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City, I mean, came in there. They're doing what they did last year, down 12 points. Hones comes back. Tyreek Kill has this amazing, again, 11-9. You know, anyone who stacked Hill and Mahomes, you know, probably won their league already if they, uh, for the week. It seems like Kansas City, again, just rolling along. You know, look, this, I can, I, I, if you get Kevin Stefanski on the phone, I'll tell him why he lost. It was easy. Okay? You went to the tennis matches. When a guy plays not to lose, he loses. Baker Mayfield had 231 passing yards at halftime. He finished the game with 321. That tells me in the second half he threw for 90 yards. Okay? At this point, when you're playing not to lose in the second half against the Chiefs, congratulations, you just lost. You try to move on the ball. You try to use the time of possession. It's a loser. You were playing great in the first half, and you shut it down too early. You know the last team that did that? The Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl. How'd that work out for them? <laughs> 
And we're talking to Dr. Roto of drrodo.com. You can hear on Sarah Styler Radio from 7 to 9 on Saturdays. And definitely go to drrodo.com for your fantasy needs. It's D-R-O-R-O-T-O.com. Um, and just one last question. Getting ready for tonight's game, uh, Ravens versus the Raiders. Uh, I Look, I want to see Henry Ruggs for the Raiders last year. I drafted him early. I don't draft him this year, but I, I just, I'm looking to see what happens with the Raiders and what about the Ravens running back situation? I mean, they seem to – I mean, is, is Larry Johnson on their team? It seems like they have signed every big-name running back, Lavian Bell, Levante Murray, Devontae uh, Freedom, Latavius Murray. It's just amazing. Yeah, so if Gus Edwards had a twin brother, it would be Latavius Murray. And I think Lat Murray will be fine. I think he'll be perfect in that offense. He just is not ready this week. I think Tyson Williams will get a lot of opportunities, and I think you're going to be impressed. I think he's pretty good. So at the end of the day, the Ravens are Lamar Jackson to Mark Andrews. That's how they work best, and they play good defense. I am, just like you, I'm intrigued by the Raiders. Um, I really want to see how Josh Jacobs runs and how Kenyon Drake, who they brought over this year from the Cardinals, looks. Uh, you mentioned Ruggs. I'm really interested to see this kid, Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards, uh, Derek Carr talks about him and raves about him. And I, I watched him play at the University of South Carolina. This kid can ball it out, but he couldn't stay healthy last year. Is he going to emerge? And, of course, Darren Waller. I mean, you feed the guy 18 targets a game, things happen. The Ravens won't let that happen. I, I really believe that the Ravens will force the Raiders to throw to anybody else besides Waller. So, look, it should be a good game. I, I do like Lamar Jackson. I think he has a big night. Do you think something in the, the first game in, in Las Vegas, the, the fans, the excitement, is that going to be something that's going to push the Raiders over top or with the Ravens, like, rise to the level? Because they'll, they'll try. You know, it'll be one of those things where it's going to be an offensive more showdown because shootout because of the fact that just the excitement in the, in the, in the arena. I think it's a shootout because the Raiders' defense is not really that good. And I think it's – look, when, when teams play at home, you get a good first half out of it. But the better team usually wins games, right? And so in the NFL, it's turnovers. And, it, you know, it's, it's a big play here and a big play there. I, I think in some ways, all these injuries to the running backs is making Lamar Jackson more dangerous. Now this guy's got the ball in his hands even more than he normally would have it. So, I mean, he can run. He can throw. I, I, he could have a lot of long touchdown passes. Uh, this year. So I'm very intrigued to see how the Ravens play at least this week, because when Latavius Murray comes back next week, which he will, and he's the guy to pick up on waivers, uh, I think that they're going to be, they'll use him at least 20 times a game. Dr. Roto, I know you're super busy, so thank you so much for coming on IRS Sports. We greatly appreciate it. I hope to get you back maybe later in the year, but I I followed your advice, and we're going to keep working on it. And definitely go to drroto.com. Keep up on your fantasy team. Try to win the league. I mean, a lot of people who had got killed that first week, you can still win the league. There are 16 other or 15 other weeks in the season, so you can go, go back. I'm always here for a fantasy house call, Ira, anytime you need me. 750 Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So, Ira, we mentioned earlier you were in Penn State, and this was your first Penn State game in almost two years. You usually go to about eight a year, so it must have been nice to be back. Yeah, it was good, and I couldn't believe how normal it was. I mean, 105,000 people, uh, and the students, the last couple of years, I think the students didn't come into the games. You know, certainly the 12 o'clock starts, they, they're still rolling out of bed, but uh, students filled the student section. And with like 40,000 students, and it was loud, uh, exciting. It, it looked normal. The, everything was normal except the concession stands. I've never seen lines because they couldn't get workers enough for the foods. I mean, I walked out at halftime. I mean, I, I saw the, the lines had to have been like two, 300 deep in terms of getting food. But short of that, uh, Penn State looked great against. They played Ball State. They were three by 22 and a half. They went by 31. 
the new Penn State offensive coordinator, Mike Yurchik, actually used, utilized a lot of uh, players. And uh, I just I was Im- impressed with Penn State in terms of it, it was nice to come off a win like Wisconsin, come to this game. Next week they have to play, uh, they play Auburn at home in a whiteout game on national television. They could have. Ball State's the best team in the MAC, but Penn State did what they had to do. Ball State was really had trouble offensively to getting anything going, and uh, it was very impressive. Good win for Penn State. I was excited to be there at the game, and from the whole aspect of it, it just. I, I, people ask me what was the feel. I said it just felt normal. It just felt like a Penn State game. It, you know, saw people wearing masks and, and some of that, but it was it was just it was just great to be back in a game. Fans were loud. Weather was absolutely magnificent, and I mean, people want to see a great atmosphere tonight. Raiders are going to be on TV, but whiteout Saturday. You know, sometimes Penn State puts these whiteouts when it's freezing cold and nobody's wearing has white jackets. But you're going to see <laughs> 108, 9,000 fans all wearing white uh, for the Penn State Auburn game uh, next Saturday night on ABC. So, Ira, <laughs> we we talk about Florida schools a lot, and one school that we never talk about that I don't think people even realize existed was Jacksonville State. Well, they didn't realize they existed until they upset Florida State this past weekend. Just crazy. Well, I've listened. I'm driving back from the game, so I've listened to all the games on the radio. I listened to the Florida State-Jacksonville State game, I would say, for a good, like, half hour, 45 minutes, and then I turned I mean, Jacksonville had the ball. You know, they, they, the chance was they were down, and it was like I, I, I literally was like, oh, there was, I thought the game was over, but they actually had one play left. Uh, they were down 10 to start the fourth quarter and to, and to have this amazing pass. Derek Cooper, so they were down 10, scores touchdown. And then Derek Cooper, a former Clemson four-star recruit, throws the pass to Damon Phillips Johnson. And when the pass was, they, he caught it at the 20-yard line, but uh, he should have been tackled there. But then a good block by this Edwards made a great block uh, on, on, on one of the floor. But Florida State had him pinned in, and he was able to run. It was one of the weirdest like Hail Mary passes, because usually you throw to the end zone and you score, but rarely do you get a pass down where the receiver should be tackled and was able to run in. A disaster loss for Florida State. They lose to Notre Dame, and that's why I talk about Penn State. They come back this week. Jacksonville State lost to University of Alabama Birmingham 31 nothing last week. They lost 31 nothing. The line of this game, I think, was like 30 to 35 points, and to, to lose, it's just a terrible, terrible loss uh, to Jacksonville State. So, Ira... <laughs> I've long been a Manny Diaz defender, and I really had high hopes for the U this year. I didn't expect much against Alabama. I expected a lot against App State. They won the game, but if I'm Manny Diaz, i got to be looking over my shoulder like I'm on the hot seat. Appalachia State was 20, it was, they, it was 24, 23, Miami scored 25 points. I mean, the fact that Miami scored 25 points in Appalachian State, uh, an FCS school. This is just, I mean, App State were known and they beat Michigan in 2007, one of those biggest upsets of all time. But all people talk about in the game was there was a cat in the stadium, the cat was going to fall, the fans caught it. Like, if you're Miami, you don't want to, you don't want to talk about cats falling in stadiums. <laughs> you want to talk about winning national championships. I mean, I said last week on my, on the radio show, I said, I think this Alabama team is better than the Miami dynasty. And then they, some people complained. They said, no, 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 the Miami dynasty was better than the Alabama dynasty. At least we're talking about dynasties. They're not talking about cats. 
No one's talking about the Alabama <laughs> Cats. Like, it's like that just shows you how where Miami's program is. When you're talking about cats falling in stadiums and not winning football games, that's not good at all. And I think that's what you cannot beat Appalachian State by two points. Now, Michigan State comes in this week. Uh, you don't want to go down one and two, and you don't want to lose to Michigan State. Michigan's not good this year, but I could believe Miami is favored by six points in that game. But, again, they had the loss to Alabama. I, we predicted this. I mean, I said, look, after you play Alabama the next week, you're beat up. And uh, I just felt like that the only way they're, look, they're lucky they weren't Florida State and lost the game, but only win by two points and look just unimpressive the entire game. So one of the premier games of the weekend is going to be Oregon and Ohio State. And Oregon got the upset win. This was a heck of a game. Yes, I listened to the entire game driving in, and what did we say last week? Ohio State gave up all these yards to Minnesota. Ibrahim, yep. the running back who got injured in the game, rushed for 160, 170 yards. Well, C.G. Verdo for Oregon rushed for, saw that. He said, I watched that game. I saw how he ran. He ran for 161 yards. The question is, C.J. Stroud, the freshman quarterback for Ohio State, is getting paid like a million and a half dollars. Uh, three touchdowns and interception. He had uh, second most yards, 400-some yards, second most yards in Ohio State history. Ohio State had 612 yards in the game. Okay, impressive. Ohio State's offense, we all, every year and out. Ohio State, great offense. Oregon, five. Oregon had 500 yards on our state. This Ohio State defense, we're talking the defense of the Joey Bosa and all these other great you know, first-round NFL picks. How, what has happened to Chase our State Young. defense? <laughs> and, and it was like one of these things that's just, I mean, the Ohio State's last loss of the regular season was to Purdue in October 2018. And I think, I was, I was remember, I watched the game on TV because I was LeBron's first basketball game. I was at the Lakers. I watched it at Staples Arena, and I watched the game. That's, that's how far it was. 2018, LeBron's first game is, is when they, when they, with their last home loss. But Oregon did not have Tiburow, their, their, their star number one pick defensive lineman. But uh, just, a, just a, a disaster. And I think this is going to prove problem for Ohio State throughout the year. If they can't get their defense straightened out, I mean, to have Oregon at, in its game was at Ohio State in front of 100,000 people to lose a game like that. Texas A&M, as a ranked team, goes in as number five and gets a three-point victory over unranked Colorado. Again, I, I just keep saying, we, we talk about these games because you're saying, well, Alabama, you know, Texas a and is going to be a big game, and then Texas A&M wins by three. They were a 17-point favorite over Colorado. Uh, was just a terrible, I mean, just an awful game. I watched parts of this game and, and on replay, and I could not believe, I mean, this is Texas A&M team that everyone really had, like, well, this is a team, there's a team. They have no chance to beat Alabama. They, they could play 100 times. There's no way Texas a is going to beat Alabama. Alabama would be like a 27 point favorite over them, but that was a terrible loss. And again, that's what we're, we're, one of the things we're talking about is how the difference between Alabama and everybody else in the country. Now, watch Alabama somehow lose to Florida, but I can't imagine that. But I think that's why Nick Saban keeps talking to his team. You know, they beat Mercer this week by like 100 points, and he's mad at them about that. He was he, mad, yeah. Yeah, these players are watching and hearing this, and they're saying, okay, Texas A&M is going to be your big rival. They only won by three over Colorado when they were favored by 17. Yeah, uh, they won by 34 points, and Nick Saban was livid <laughs> that they let up two touchdowns <laughs> to Mercer. That's the difference in a lot of programs. So one of the sneaky good matches this week was the battle of, of Iowa with Iowa and Iowa State, and the uh, lesser-ranked uh, Iowa Hawkeyes end up with a win. Well, I, this is, they play for the Seahawk Trophy. The first <laughs> time in 65 years that both teams were ranked. Um, this is an Iowa State team that came in that people thought, national championship but brock purdy heisen trophy winner but heisen trophy candidate threw three interceptions and had 138 yards and was pulled in the game bryce hall their star running back only had 69 yards what i take away from this game is 
Iowa might have the best defense in the country. Iowa's defense is really, really good. We saw what they did to Indiana last week, and this is finally a team that, that's able to score. But this is Iowa team. Besides, I mean, when you look at the, Iowa playing Ohio State, I mean, if they they're, they're, they look like they look like a better team than Ohio State is. So Iowa could could win the Big Ten this year. But that was I'm a really of all those teams. The first part of the year, Iowa now has had two great wins. They beat Indiana. They beat Iowa State. They're going to be in the top. You know, they're, this is a team that's going to potentially be in the playoffs. It's Iron Sports, True Oldie Channel. Just about five minutes to go. Let's talk about Notre Dame here. And this is another one. I mean, they're two and zero. They beat Florida State, which we don't know what that <laughs> equivalents to right now. But they beat Toledo, but only by three. These are teams you should be crushing. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame's performance over. Again, you're, you're waiting for them to lose. I mean, they just barely beat Florida State. They barely beat Toledo. They have to have a game-winning drive. They're heavily favored in this game. Uh, you're just, again, it's just, it's one of these things where I think their defense, I mean, they gave up all these points to Florida State, they're giving all these points to Toledo. Some of these big time teams, they just don't have that defense. That's why I like the Iowa team. They have a defense, Alabama defense. I mean, you're not going to win. You're not going to win the national championship unless you can play some defense and you can, of course, outscore them. That's why Alabama is so great. But Notre Dame, every, people keep texting, like, when is Notre Dame going to lose? Well, they'll lose eventually if they keep playing this, you know, these games that are so close. Uh, the Gators have been getting the tour of Florida beat up, or they beat FAU last week, beat USF this week. I think the story of this game is Florida plays Alabama this week. Anthony Richardson, the freshman quarterback, uh, passed three for three for 150 yards, ran for 100 yards. Emory Jones is the starting quarterback. They use Richardson coming in. What's going to happen with the, this Alabama game? This is, this is this Alabama's big test to come into Florida. Uh, this is a major chance for Florida to make a statement. Uh, it's, it's the game of the week besides the Penn State-Auburn game. Everyone's talking about it. So I think at least they weren't looking past South Florida, and they won this game. But, but we're going to all talk about this Florida-Alabama game next week. USC loses to Stanford, and as a result, their coach is out the door. <laughs> well, it's Todd Health has been there for seven years. I saw a, an article today that said he should be fired, and he was actually fired like a few hours later. Uh, it's a huge premier job, but they haven't won a conference title in 10 years, 12 years. Uh, disaster for USC. The Pac-12, is everyone's lost, but they're lucky. UCLA is playing well. Oregon has some big wins. So those are the two teams. As long as UCLA, they play in the middle of the year, play in, uh, in a few weeks. But if one of them now, but with all these outside wins, this is great for the Pac-12. But USC, who people thought was Keaton Slovis, who everyone said would be the number one quarterback kick in the draft, he didn't have a good game at all. So, Ira, um, let's wrap it up with this one. Texas and Arkansas. Tell us about this one. Well, I think the interesting thing about it is that Arkansas was fined $100,000 $100, for storming the field, which I'm sure they're happy they're paying. 75,000 people in Arkansas to beat Texas, and this is what Texas is going to play. They're going to be the Southeast Conference, and Arkansas is considered like at the lower level of the Southeast Conference. Texas, the number 15 Big 12 team, comes in there and loses. Like when you, In a few years, when you come to this SEC, this is going to happen. You're going to be like a 500 team. Yeah, well, we talked about it. That is kind of a sketchy move. And then to lose to, yeah, one of the bottom three or four teams in the SEC, not looking good. What, uh, what are you looking forward to next week? Um, it's just the Alabama-Florida game and the Penn State game. Uh, Penn State-Auburn that night is going to be is going to be just great. Uh, Nebraska plays Oklahoma. Oklahoma's right, 22. I, I like actually Nebraska in that game. But Cincinnati's the number eight, eight uh, ranked team. They're playing Indiana. They need to have this win because Cincinnati's probably going undefeated. They play in the American Conference like last year. They need to have these wins. But Indiana this week and then Notre Dame the following week, that's going to be key for them. 
Let's uh, let's talk some tennis here before we get to auto racing because I know you you saw a lot of it over the past two weeks. Um, well, I think the key about the tennis is the Daniil Medvedev. I said last week, people said, "Oh, you thought Djokovic was going to win." He, I've seen him play. I saw him play four matches. He is serves. It's just his serve is not the fastest. Even wants to be fast, but he no one can return it. And and he's and he's just uh, he's just a backboard. He's six seven six eight. Uh, very like 160 pounds it seems like, but he's able to place the serves in different places, and 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 nobody I never saw any return serves at all. He wasn't hardly broken by anybody, and then in return in terms of return of serves, he just doesn't miss. So you have a guy that like hits the ball like Nadal, but serves like an Isner, and he was dominating everybody. Whereas Djokovic in Wednesday had a tough set set against uh, Berrettini, went ended up winning that match, and then Friday it was at the Djokovic Zarev match from uh, Zarev, it was the four seed from Germany. I mean, it went five sets. Zarev should have won the match, but Djokovic in the fifth set, it's like. Zarev's 2-2 sets 2-2, goes to the fifth set, and everyone's saying Zarev's going to win the, the match. And I said, wait a second, this is the deep end. Joker took him to the deep end. This is He's played. He's beat the doll in five sets, Federer in five sets. And Zarev says, oh, it's the fifth set. I'll play it like, you know, we're not here for three and a half hours to play with the other sets. And Djokovic just had that master set and played great. But Medvedev earlier in the day, beat Felix Agaragosin, who, when I was walking in the streets in New York today, actually ran into and saw him right just walking down the street with one of his advisors. And, uh, but he beat him like in an hour and a half. I mean, Medvedev just killed Felix Agaragosin. And, and whereas Djokovic had like a four-hour match, Medvedev had an hour and a half match. And then when you get to the finals yesterday, this is a chance for Djokovic to win 21 majors, to win a Grand Slam, which hasn't been done since 1967. Uh, and he was, it was just, it wasn't even close. And as I, I, I expected it. I wanted Djokovic to win. I, everybody wanted Djokovic to see. I want to see history. And you know, I went to how many Triple Crown uh, uh, Belmonts that I went to that I saw the horses lose until, I, until we saw American Pharaoh win and a Justify win. But it's just like Djokovic was there, but he looked tired. He should not have played in the Olympics. Um, I thought it was great that he played, but it tired him out. And it was just Medvedev right now in the Australian Open. Medvedev cruised the same thing. Met Djokovic in the finals, and then went to the finals, and Djokovic just was able to get in Medvedev's head and easily win the match. And Djokovic hadn't played well. But in this case, I didn't think Djokovic had played well coming into this, into the finals. And then uh, Medvedev was able to just 6-4, 6-4, 6-4 in two hours. Uh, Djokovic could not break Medvedev's serve, and Medvedev was able to beat Djokovic's serve, and it just it was just a better player. They could, I think they could have played 30 sets. Medvedev would have won all 30. It was that, that's how, right now, Daniil Medvedev is the best hardcore player. Is he the best player in the world? No, because he doesn't play well on grass, doesn't play well on clay, but in the Australian Open, the US Open, he should be the heavy favorite in both tournaments. And then going to the women's side, which after Osaka was out, you're like, there's not really so much excitement, everything like that. You had uh, 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 Leila Fernandez, an 18-year-old from Canada, who a few years ago, a few, a few months ago, was like 100th in the world. And then Emma Raducanu, who was a qualifier for the tournament. That means she wasn't even in the hot, top 120 to get in the tournament. So to win three matches, to even get in the tournament. And they both made it. Two unseeded players make it to the finals. Uh, two, one's an 18-year-old, and Emma, uh, Layla turned 19. And Raducanu won 6-4, 6-3. I saw the matches on Thursday. Uh, Fernandez beat number two seed Arena Sabalinka. And then Emma beat Maria Sakaria, Sok- the, the 12th seed. Uh, but uh, it was like, it, to me, it shows the women's game is weak in terms of the fact that, that two 18-year-old unseated can get to the finals. There's not, like, Serena Williams in her 
prime would have never lost to an 18-year-old, would never have had it. These players had trouble playing. These, these 18-year-olds had not even seen They Remember, a year ago, they're playing in the, they have never played for a fans ever. Like, because they were playing with, with COVID, there was, they've never even played. And, and both of them just ate up. They knew they both were phenomenal with the crowd. They got the crowd on their side. They're getting excited about it. And Sock had trouble with it. And these other players, and these aren't players who are like 24 and 25, but they couldn't handle the crowd. And, and, and we talked about Osaka when the crowd turned on them for, throw, for, for throwing the racket. But uh, I think, I really think that both these players are going to have long careers and really good. I don't think, and I think Emma, though, being, I just, Emma seems to have it all. It's amazing that she was a qualifier and she did well in Wimbledon, but this is a, a stage now where I think she's really set to, to have a nice run. I, I do think the women's game is set for someone the next superstar to come. I mean, Serena clearly is way, way past her prime, but none of these other players are able to step up and, and to lose to these 18 year olds, I think really set up, you know, it, but it created excitement because people were packed for the women's final Thursday was a, was a big event there. And, uh, but uh, in terms of tennis, I, it, this whole thing was amazing. I was very impressed. I, I know that tennis is really big in South Florida. We will talk a little bit more about it next week about some of my insight in terms of going there, but I just enjoyed this whole thing. Congratulations to Neil, Medvedev, and congratulations to Emma Raducanu. And uh, what about auto racing to wrap it up? Well, Martin Truex won the NASCAR race, but I have to talk about the Formula One race. Matthew Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton have been neck and neck this whole year. One drives for uh, uh, Red Bull team, Verstappen. Hamilton drives for Mercedes. And on the first lap, Hamilton sort of was going to pass Verstappen, and it was real close, back down. The only way when you're past somebody, you sort of back up because there wasn't much room. But then Hamilton pitted around like lap 30. He was coming out of the pit and had the right away. Verstappen was still was, was driving, but Hamilton was ahead of him and had got up to speed. But Verstappen tried to turn and you know, pass Hamilton, went over the, the, the rumble strips that they had, and flew up over Hamilton's car. Literally, that his tire went on Hamilton's head. So both cars are knocked out. I can't believe Hamilton wasn't injured in the accident because you could see that if you watch the Google it, it's an amazing accident. But uh, both were knocked out. So they both don't get points. They're both so far ahead. They're everything. And the two McLaren cars of uh, Ricardo and Lando Norris they ended up winning, and Hamilton's teammate came in third place. But, but it's going to be fun. If you can get up on Sunday mornings and watch this between Verstappen and Hamilton, I mean, there is total bad blood between them because now they've caused each other. This is the second time there's been an accident this year. Both are the tremendous drivers and there's a lot of money on the line a lot of prestige on the line and it was exciting to see that and uh but everyone's like verstappen's fans are saying it's hamilton's fault and hamilton's fans saying it's verstappen's fault so that was exciting we are out of time thank you so much to dr roto on behalf of ira i'm mike let's talk next monday night it's iron sports